3, verse 11, 5 through 27. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. In Joel chapter 2. Verses 28 and 29. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. This is the word of the Lord. My wife is one of the least selfish people I know, and on the rare occasion when she uh, registers a minor complaint, I I pay attention. Uh, A year ago, uh, Sandy's birthday is on June 1st, and a year ago, everything was going on in our family. One son was graduating, moving to Houston, daughter was moving to D.C., having an internship, another daughter was starting another job, another daughter was moving to Florida. For the summer, and uh, I, I had unwisely uh, decided I could fit a speaking engagement in there. And uh, along the way, I'd said something like, you know, honey, is it okay if we just had your birthday a little later in the week and celebrated there? And, of course, she said yes, and we, we did, but I did not do a good job of, uh, of making it a celebration of her. And uh, later, she just said... Uh, just want you to know, that was a pretty bad birthday. <laughs> and when my wife speaks, I listen, and it, and it, and it really did sadden me. Uh, Sandy gives so much to our family, uh, to all of us, that when it was her day, uh, I didn't come through for her. And as I was thinking about Pentecost, it, it made me wonder if the Holy Spirit ever feels that way. Uh, we, we sort of take him for granted. Uh, we know he's the power by which we live the Christian life. But I, I wonder sometimes if, if, if he feels unappreciated by the people of God. The father we get, the son we're okay with, but the, the third guy we just don't, don't really know what to do with. And I hope, Holy Spirit, you feel differently as we begin Pentecost tonight. We, we began our study with, uh, with Matthew about a month ago, and one of the things that I think I shared with you at the beginning was uh, that I felt we weren't supposed to sort of get through it, but that we were supposed to linger in it and sit in it and see where it would take us. And when we got into the baptism of the Spirit a few, year, a few years ago, it may feel like a few years ago to you, um, uh, a few weeks ago, the sense that I had was, well, let's sit there through Pentecost. That's uh, kind of where we need to be. And as I was uh, preparing for tonight, I just had the sense that we were to linger here longer. Uh, that, uh, that the Pentecost season of the church was one in which we should 
reflect and, and ponder and, and explore uh, this mystery of the baptism of the Holy Spirit more, more fully. And the verse that we've been uh, wondering about is the first one um, that Austin read when, when John the Baptist, the last prophet of the Old Covenant, says, I baptize you with water for repentance. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And what we've said is that this is one of the most important moments in all of redemptive history because we're going from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. We're, we're going from, we've used this silly idea of Covenant 1.0 to Covenant 2.0, a whole new operating system that entirely rearranges the way you walk with God if you figure it out, if you embrace it. And one of the things Paul is constantly warning us of is he calls the Old Covenant a ministry of death and the New Covenant the ministry of life. And he keeps asking the people that he's writing, why are you still living under the ministry of death when God's given you the ministry of life? Why is this? Last week we we used a little illustration and we talked about uh, the second half of the gospel. And I ask you, if, if you had embraced both halves of the gospel, uh, the first half of the gospel is this uh, beautiful idea of the father is the judge, he's in the courtroom, uh, I am a guilty sinner, I stand before him in all his holiness, he declares me guilty, sentences me to death as my breaking of the law deserves, then the son comes up from the galley, steps into my place, goes to the death for me, and I go free. That's the first half of the gospel. But what we suggested last week was, the problem is, if you go down to the courthouse tomorrow morning and you start pardoning criminals, even if you could figure out a way to satisfy the demands of the law, the problem is they go back into their neighborhood, into broken systems, broken families, broken addictions, broken hearts, broken lives, and before you know it, they're in the same mess they were when they started. And so we said, you know, forgiveness is wonderful, it's beautiful, but we need something more than being forgiven. And so we added another metaphor. We said, suppose that when you are ready to walk free out of that courtroom, that the the judge says, wait a minute, I have done the paperwork and I've adopted you. Actually, you're coming home with me tonight. You're going to become a part of my family and we're going to walk this life out with you. That's the second half of the gospel, the idea that you've been adopted into God's family. But there is a a depth even to that metaphor that we haven't gone yet. Because you're probably familiar with the stories. They're kind of tragic. Uh, One of the most beautiful things I think a family can do is adopt another child. And sometimes what happens, I just heard this story recently of a a child that was adopted from, I think, Uganda or an African country, and they got into the home in this lovely West Knoxville home, and after seven months, one of the things they found was that the child had been going down after dinner and, and pulling food out of the pantry and hiding it underneath her bed and hoarding it because she was so conditioned to be an orphan that she was sure she'd be thrown out one day and wanted to know she had enough food. So even just being invited into the father's family, the mother's family, is not quite enough. There's something more that has to happen to equip us for the spiritual life. And that something more 
is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, what would a godly Jew standing on the banks of the Jordan have thought when John the Baptist stood up and said, what I'm doing right now is baptizing in water, but there's one coming, he's standing in line actually, who is going to baptize you with the Spirit. Well, a godly Jew that knew his scripture would have thought of three Old Testament prophecies. And I want to briefly look at them with you tonight. The first one is Jeremiah 29, 31 to 34. And we haven't read that one yet. Jeremiah ministered in the last days of the kingdom of Judah before the Babylonians had come in and taken the people of Israel into exile. And Jeremiah warns Judah of a coming judgment, and then he begins to proclaim a word of hope to them about a new day when God is going to do something that they've never seen before. And Jeremiah 31, 31 starts, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. Okay, what's he talking about here? Well, a covenant is an agreement, uh, a pact, uh, a testament. And what God did was he called the people of Israel to himself. And one of the things that he did was he led them out of Egypt. And on Mount Sinai, he gave them the Ten Commandments, the law. And he said, I want you to keep that as my people. That's how uh, you'll reflect my glory in the nations. And the people tried to keep it. But they lacked the power and the will to do it. And eventually... They walked away from God. And so God says, okay, that covenant that I gave you, you were not able to keep it, and so I'm going to give you a new one. And then he describes what the new covenant's going to look like. He says, I will put my law within them, and I'll write it on their hearts. Now, where was the law for an old covenant person? It It was on the the tablets in the ark, which were eventually broken. And so the prophet is saying, or God is saying through the prophet, there there is going to come a day when that law that's sitting there in the ark that you can't even go see, I'm actually going to take that law, and I'm going to take my pen, and I'm going to etch the law on your heart. I'm going to put it inside you. That's my new covenant. Now, a generation later, maybe a little less than a generation later, Ezekiel comes along, and God has him prophesy something similar to the exiles with a little bit of a twist. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. He says, okay, I'm going to clean you at a depth of which you've never experienced. Right now, we've been dealing with externals as best we can. 
But there's going to come a day, a new covenant, when I cleanse you in a way that you've never been clean before. And then he says, and I'll give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So he's building on the prophecy in in Jeremiah and and he's saying, okay, old covenant person, you're trying to keep the law of God. You're trying to follow those commandments in the ark. Here's what's going to happen. You haven't been able to do it. And so I am going to put my Holy Spirit in your heart. I'm going to change your heart. This is going to be an internal work. This is a new thing. This is different. And I am actually going to put within you not only a new nature, I'm going to put in you a new desire to obey my word. A desire you've never had before. This new covenant, new nature, new power, new desire, new identity. He says, this, this, is, this is radical stuff. And then a generation later, there's one last prophecy we're going to look at, and we'll try to tie this together. It's the Joel 2.28 one that uh, we just read, but I want to read it again because it's the one that Peter quotes on Pentecost. Joel 2.28 And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. So he says, there's going to come a day where the Holy Spirit that just rests on prophets is going to rest on slaves and men and women and old people and young people. And you're all going to prophesy. You're all going to dream dreams. You're all going to see visions, he says. And he's actually referring to an obscure Old Testament text. That would make sense since the New Testament wasn't written yet. An obscure text in the book of Numbers that I'm going to read to you right now. Uh, Numbers 11, verse 24 and following. This is what Joel was referring to. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and, and he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. And then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. See how the Spirit works in the Old Testament? He's he's there, but in a limited sense, he's only on very special people. So he's he's somehow resting on Moses. And Moses has called together these 70 elders. And for a moment, God takes the Holy Spirit that's resting on Moses and then sort of splashes it over the 70. And as soon as the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied. But they didn't continue doing it. And that's another mark of the, of the Spirit in the Old Covenant. He would come on you, you'd do something, and then he'd go home. I don't know. I don't know where you go when you're the Holy Spirit. But he would come and he would go. He wouldn't stay with you. Now, two men remained in the camp. One named Eldad, the other Medad. 
<laughs> Probably not how you say it, but I don't, I don't know how you say it. And so Eldad and Medad and the Spirit rested on them, and they were among those registers, but they'd not gone out to the tent. And so they prophesied in the camp. So you see what's happening here? This is kind of a crazy moment in Israel's life. Moses is prophesying. The Holy Spirit, kind of the sparks jump, catch the 70 guys on fire. They start to prophesy. They shut down. The spark jumps over to these two Medad guys. And then they start to prophesy. And the next thing that happens is, uh, and a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord, Moses, stop them. <laughs> you know, that's often our first response when um, the Holy Spirit starts rocking and rolling a little bit, is, My Lord, stop them. But Moses <laughs> said to them, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets. And the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. And so, you see, what Joel is saying is that what Moses prayed is going to come true. And there's two things I want you to see in that, is that the baptism of the Spirit is democratic and charismatic. It's democratic in that it's not just for the priest, it's for everybody. It's charismatic in that it's, 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 uh, sometimes it expresses itself in, in prophecy and things like that. Now, three main prophecies of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let's summarize what, what, what a Jew would have known when John the Baptist said this. That the old covenant wasn't working so well. God's people lacked the will and the power to obey God's law, even though God's law was perfect. God, having mercy on his people, promised to make a new covenant with them, one marked by the fullness of the Spirit. One day God will pour out his Spirit on all of his people. One day God will place his spirit in our hearts. When this happens, the spirit will change our hearts and give us a new power and a new desire to obey God's law. The indwelling spirit will perform a deep cleansing work in the people of God. And the indwelling spirit will help us know God more intimately. So John is standing at the end of the Old Covenant, pointing to the man who's going to inaugurate the New Covenant, and saying, this man is going to initiate a fuller, deeper relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. Get ready. And one of the primary themes of the New Testament is, did you get it? Bill Bright, one of the founders of a Christian group Sandy and I were involved with in college, um, told this story. Many times I heard him speak about the Holy Spirit. He had a wonderful way of speaking about the Holy Spirit. And I think it was a true story of a Texas rancher that was going broke, and he just couldn't, he couldn't uh, make any money on his land. And, and finally he went to get a loan, and he couldn't get the loan, and they were coming to foreclose on the land. And for some reason, I think he went out back to dig a well to kind of hold on those last few days while he was... Uh, getting foreclosed on, and sure enough, it's Texas, right? He hits oil, and he becomes a millionaire. And what Dr. Bright used to say was, we all have, we're all like that rancher and that we've got this incredible resource underneath us, but we don't know it's there, and so we get foreclosed upon. The Holy Spirit is like that oil well that's, that's beneath us. And, and I think, you know, I had the... I, 
an email I got this week from, from one of us that's not walking with us much anymore, and, and they just talked about being tired and not wanting to be here and, and uh, just weren't sure where they were with God anymore, and they were worn out, and um, it was really sad. And I, I just felt so sad that somehow she hadn't and we hadn't helped her find the well. And, and, and she, the thing that crushed me in the email, she said that when she came, she always felt worse than when she got here. And, and part of that's mistakes on my part, I'm sure, but part of it is if you are trying to do this in the Old Covenant, this is a bad way to spend a Sunday night. It'll just wear your self out. Uh, next Saturday, Brian and I are, are doing this um, swim in the Chattanooga River. It's a four and a half uh, mile uh, deal. And we've been training all year. And uh, Last year when we did it, they, they put you in this bus and they, they drive you up. And, and uh, the things you talk about when you're in that bus are, are kind of odd. And, and one of the things is, is where's the current? Because in open water swimming and river swimming, if you can catch the current, you'll go faster than if you're just paddling away in the, in the shallows. And last year was the first time I'd, I'd done it, and I kept getting lost. <laughs> I kept, and they have these guys in kayaks, and you have these bright orange things on your head so they can kind of see you when you go under. And the, this, this young guy in the kayak would go, he'd come and kind of pat me with a paddle, because you can't see anything, it's all muddy. And, and he'd say, sir, you're out of the... <laughs> and he'd kind of push me back over there. And so, you know, two hours later when I washed ashore, I'd probably turn it into a six-mile six race, because I didn't stay in the current. And I was thinking of that as we were praying beforehand. I think that's sort of what the spiritual life is like. I mean, the old covenant is like swimming without the current. It's not wrong, but it's going to take you a long time. (laughs) And you're going to get really, really tired. But if you get in the current, you're going to move. I mean, haven't you tasted times in your life when you could tell you were in the current? And haven't you tasted times in your life when you knew you weren't? That's what I'm talking about. There is a kind of a a freedom and a joy and a fullness. Even I mean, believe me, even in the current, swimming four and a half miles is hard. (laughs) But it's a lot easier than when you're not in the current. And the Christian life is always hard. But when you are flowing with the current of the Spirit, there is an ease that comes that my dear friend that wrote me the email, I just don't think she, she knew. So the question I leave you with tonight is, are you in the current?